Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I want to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. And I also want to thank you for partnering with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. There's always something new and exciting happening here at Ren, so please follow us on social media. You can find us by searching Renaissance Decatur. And you can also connect with us by visiting our website, rendecatur.org. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here. And today, we're going to continue our Bible study in the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We'll put the words up on the screen for you. But if you want to hold a Bible, there's a Bible underneath the seat around you. You can turn to page 954 in that Bible if you'd like to read along that way. And the Bible underneath the seat around you is... uh, a translation called the English Standard Version. It's the translation that I use. It's the translation Pastor Jeff uses. It's, it's the translation the pastors of the church here like, not because we think it's the, the only good English translation. There are many good English translations of the Bible. It's just the best one because we use it. But, but we like it the most because it's pretty readable and it, it is pretty faithful to the original languages and it's what we use. And something that the, the publishers of the ESV translation have done to help us when we study the Bible is put section headings over different passages of the scripture. And the section that we're reading today, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, that section is titled in the ESV translation, Lawsuits Against Believers. Now, as helpful as the section headings are, sometimes they don't fully describe the different nuances that exist within the text. They don't describe all the subtleties for us. And so what we could do is look at that section heading, Lawsuits Against Believers, and then read the passage, which we'll do here in a moment, and quickly decide that the Bible says Christians should never sue one another. It's kind of funny. Should Christians sue one another? I don't know. That's not what we're going to talk about today. Maybe maybe if someone could say Christians should never sue one another, the Bible says that. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. What we have to do is take every passage of Scripture in the context of what the entirety of the Bible says. And when we understand that God actually loves justice and he cares about what is fair and what is equitable amongst people, it's hard to say that the Bible says Christians should never sue one another. That's probably a good statement to make, that Christians should never sue one another. But what we see here in the passage, and what I hope the Holy Spirit will help us to understand, is that when we go in and study it closely, is, is this, that, that, that God is hardly as concerned about our behavior as he is concerned about our heart that causes us to perform certain behaviors. And so the point of the passages today is not to shame any Christian who's ever sued another Christian or, or to shame someone who's in the middle of a lawsuit right now. Or if you're an attorney and you've represented a Christian who's sued <laughs> another Christian, it's not to shame your profession for this because that's not the point. The point isn't don't sue one another. We can't hear that when we study this today. That's not what the Bible's saying. It's saying this, we should look for the thing in our heart that's keeping us from loving each other in the first place. That's what God is always after, the things in our heart that keep us from serving him the best, that keep him from loving him the best and loving one another the best. Our behavior follows after he changes our heart. He doesn't care about modifying our behavior. He cares about changing hearts. And that's what I hope we can get today 
as we read the passage. So I want to go ahead and do that. So would you read it with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It says this, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Don't you know that we're to judge angels? How much more than the matters pertaining to this life? If you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute among the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother. And that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all or to have disputes with one another at all that, that are, are so great that you would take them to the court, you've already been defeated because you couldn't figure out how to handle it amongst yourselves. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. These are hard and challenging things. And uh, I want to stop like we always do and pray and ask God to help us. Because as I was studying for this, I was greatly convicted this week. I was, I was severely challenged by things in my own heart that God wants to change. And I, I believe that he would want to do the same thing for all of us in different ways. So would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful that you care about us so much that you want to make us more like your son Jesus. That you care about changing our hearts, you care about changing who we are and, and turning us into people who can love like you can. I pray that that's what you'd show us today as we study the scriptures, that as we uncover what the Bible says, that you would uncover things that are in our hearts that you want to point out to each of us to make us more like your son. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been offended by someone? Or do you know someone maybe who gets offended by everything? <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. And, and some would say I get offended by everything. Here, here's the truth. I don't get offended by everything. I'm actually not that easily offended. I get angered by a lot of things. <laughs> I'm easily angered. And here's where I see the difference. Offense is when someone makes me angry and I'm mad at that person for years. And I never want to speak to them again. Anger, what I have, is where you make me angry and I'll explode on you in the most unspeakable rage for 30 seconds. And then after that, I'm fine and we're friends again. That's what I have is anger problems. Some of us know people who get easily offended and they stay that way for a long time. Some of us know people like myself who have an anger problem and explode and it's crazy and no one wants to be around that guy. And it's one of those things that God is changing in my heart and helping me to see how he wants me to be more like Jesus. But we have moments sometimes where people just say things that offend us and, and where people have something against us on New Year's Eve. I went to a party at a friend's house, a New Year's Eve party with my brother. We drove together and we're there until 2.30 a.m. playing board games. Woo, sounds exciting. Happy New Year. We're playing board games until 2.30 a.m. We realize that it's way into the wee hours of the morning, New Year's Day, and it's like, we've got to get home. We're both exhausted. So we get in the car and we start driving back to his house where my car is. My brother's driving. And he turns to me at one point. Now, mind you, we're both tired and our filters are off. And my brother is someone who just, because we're close, because we've, we've been with each other for so long, because we are close in age, because we were homeschooled together, we were de facto best friends, we only had each other for the first 20 years of our lives. <laughs> 
because that's who we are, it's really easy for us to just have an argument and fight. And I wish I could tell you that into our 30s now, we've never gotten into an argument. But this night, he turns to me and he says randomly something like this. I feel really sorry for people who are close to you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I said, are you serious? He goes, oh, oh, Absolutely. I feel really sorry for people who are close to you. And I said, why? I'm, I'm starting to get my feelings hurt. I go through the five stages of grief within a two-minute period of getting my feelings hurt. I'm like, Billy, why, why is that? And he's like, well, because of the way you are. <laughs> what do you mean the way I am? And he says, well, if you haven't figured that out yet, there's no hope for you. <laughs> and I became offended. And I got angry with him. But I was also hurt, and I told him that. I said, Billy, you're hurting my feelings when you say this. And he turns to me and pats me on the shoulder and says, you're going to be fine. <laughs> and I said, I want to punch you in the face right now. And so he did what any good brother would do, any good, good you know, Jesus-following adult would do in a situation like that. He put the car in park and got out and started walking. <laughs> and I said, you can't do that. <laughs> he finally got in the car took me to my car, I drove home, and I texted him, and I said, thank you for driving tonight. I hope you sleep well. And we didn't speak for days because we had something against each other. And the Apostle Paul says this, when one of you has a grievance against another, dare he go to law before the unrighteous? What if I would have sued him over that? How silly would that have been of me to take that matter to court? And the word that the Apostle Paul here uses it's translated grievance, literally means a thing, which is kind of funny to me. He says, when one of you has a thing against somebody else, it's something that you have against them that, that has caused you to think of them in a certain way, that causes you to think about them in a certain way. Some of us have somebody who has something against us, and they've not told us yet that they have something against us. But we can tell because of the way that they act or the way that they'll, they'll skirt away from us when we try to talk to them. Some of you are like that. <laughs> when you have something against someone, you won't come right out and say it, and, and you'll let these things fester inside of you. And, and the Bible gives us a specific way to address that that we'll talk about in just a moment. But the Apostle Paul says this. Is, he says, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous? Instead of the saints, what was happening in that time was they would take their matters, their, the things that they had against each other, to court. And they would quickly do that because in that culture, in the city of Corinth, it was popular for people to attend court to watch legal disputes happen. We thought that all started with OJ, didn't we? It was happening way back then. People wanted to go see Judge Judy at the People's Court of Corinth and watch these things taken care of. And what happened was that they, at once these people who lived in Corinth became followers of Jesus and, and, and decided to let God transform their life, they chose to hang on to some of their old habits. And, and they still wanted to be a part of the way of the city of Corinth and, and to attend these events and to make a big spectacle about it. And the Apostle Paul says, you're taking your disputes amongst each other. Fellow followers of Christ, you're taking your disputes to people who do not view the world the way you do, who do not view the world the way God does. 
See, there's a specific way that God views the world. There's a specific way that God sees things, and we don't see it his way. We instinctively see it our own way based on the things that we know. And our knowledge is very, very limited. We only know so much, but God knows everything. And because he knows everything, he's the wisest being in the universe, and he's able to give us the wisdom that we need in order to handle our disputes. And the apostle Paul says, why would you go outside of the wisdom of God to fix these matters? See, there are people, people who are Christians who are filled with God's spirit. And once we're filled with God's spirit, we have an understanding of what he wants. And we can go to one another for instruction and wisdom And we can go to each other to know what God wants us to do and how he wants us to respond in these circumstances. But that's not what they were doing. They were going outside of the way God would look at the world. And God has given us a pretty simple and easy way for us to understand what he wants, and it's the Bible itself. It's the Bible itself. We can go to this book and and understand how God views the world. We can go to this book and and gain his wisdom from it. We can go to this, this book and know how he's interacted with people for centuries. The purpose of the Bible is to show us who God is. A few years ago, when the, autobi- or the biography of Steve Jobs came out, it was pretty popular. Some of you may remember that. I knew instantly that I wanted a copy of it because there were things that I, that I saw in Steve Jobs' life that I thought maybe I'd want to in- imitate. He's very creative. He's very inspiring. And if I could learn about who he is, maybe I could imitate some of those things. And so I got that biography, and I never finished it, which is why I'm not creative or inspiring. And our goal as Christians is to emulate the life of Jesus and to become more like him. And the easiest way for us to do that is to read this book, which is, in a sense, it isn't exactly that, but it is, in a sense, a a biography or a grand story about who Jesus is. And we read, even from the book of Genesis, how God was saying to us that one day he would send his son into the world to rescue us. See, the story of Jesus does not just begin in a manger. It begins from creation. And we learn about who he is and the way that he loves us and the way that he cares about us from the pages of this book. And if we want to understand how to be more like him, we go to this book for those instructions. Now, Jesus, when speaking to some of his closest followers gave them some very specific instructions on what to do when somebody has a thing against you or when you have a thing against someone else. And I want to turn real quick to those in Matthew chapter 18. And we'll put the words up on the screen here for you. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says this in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, which I've experienced... If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And here's the important part of that, between you and him alone. He then goes on to say, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. And then if he doesn't listen after two or or three other people have gone along, then you go talk to uh, other people in the church about it. Very often what happens, though, when we have something against someone else is we do this completely backwards. As we start talking to everyone we can about it, under the guise of, I need uh, to know what to do about this person who's really 
hurt me. And we talk to people who actually can't make any change in the situation. Something Pastor Jeff says all the time to us on the staff is if you're talking with someone about something, about another person, and that person has no power to make a change for that other person's life, you're gossiping. It's a simple definition of gossip. If you're talking about someone and the person you're talking to cannot help, you're gossiping. We like to do this backwards because we're afraid of confrontation. And we want to take two or three people with us to the other person. So we've got some backup. And Jesus says, here's the easiest way to do it. Just go tell them. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That's what I want. If you have something against me, come tell me. I can't know that I'm doing something you hate if you don't tell me that you hate it. Go and tell him his fault, Jesus says. And if he listens to you, You've gained your brother. That's, that's truly what we want, is it not? Reconciliation. To, to come back together to restore the relationship. You know what doesn't restore the relationship? When we go and talk to other people, when we, when we tell other people the offense that was done against us, and then eventually we find it in our heart to forgive the person who's offended us, and now our relationship with that person is good again, except there's all these other people we've talked to who are now holding that same thing against the person we were once offended with. And yet we don't choose to go back to all those other people and change the things that we said about them in the first place. We don't choose to go back and say, hey, things are good between myself and this other person now, and I want you to know that I was wrong in some areas too. We, don't, we, we are quick to maybe want to repair our relationships with others, but once we've talked to other people about it, we often forget that we need to go repair their relationship with the person that we were offended against too because we damage that as well. Jesus says the way to do it is you go between you and him alone, mano a mano, womano a womano. Just the two of you confront them face to face and figure it out. That's, that's, the, that's the way Jesus would have us to do it so that we don't sow seeds of discord amongst others. And he, he says in verse 2, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, don't you know that the saints or, or people who are followers of Jesus, people who are, are believers in Christ, don't you know that they will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Verse 3 says, don't you know that we are to judge angels? Now, this moment where he says the saints will judge the world and that the saints will judge angels, um, I'd love to tell you that I know what he's talking about, but I don't. And, and, and here's why. The Bible doesn't really give us a lot of information on what that means, that, that, that the, the saints, the, the followers of Jesus will judge the world and judge angels. We don't get teaching about that moment in the rest of the Bible. It sounds kind of cool. We'll be sitting on a dais and angels will come before us and we'll pass judgment on them. I don't want to be in that because I'm not smart enough to judge an angel or anyone else for that matter. But the apostle Paul says we're going to do it. Well, we don't really get a picture of what that looks like anywhere, but I think the point he's trying to make is this, is that, that we, we have an understanding of things that are heavenly, that are eternal, things that last forever. And what the Corinthians were doing were investing themselves into things that were earthly or temporary. They were putting more stock into things that were going to fade away. Everything that is of the earth will fade away. And we see this every day in every 
every facet of our lives. If you leave meat out on the counter, it will decay. If you pick a flower, it will die. The older you get, the more you realize the longer it takes to feel good in the morning. Okay, everything of this earth is decaying and fading away. And the Apostle Paul says you're putting more weight on these things that are of the earth. These trivial things, these things that are smaller than a microscopic issue. He says you're blowing them way out of proportion and making it such a big deal. And he says this, how much more than if we understand heavenly things, if we understand that God loves us so much that he would send his son to this earth to rescue us, if we, if we understand the truth that's contained in the Bible, how much more than should we be able to make decisions about the common things of our life? When you think about the common things of our lives, they're, they're pretty simple to go through that list. It's, what am I going to eat today? What am I going to wear today? What route am I going to take to work today? And most of the time, we don't, we don't stress over those things. Now, some of you are like, obviously, Joe, you didn't put any thought into what you were going to wear today. But, but can you imagine if, if over those moments, if we took those things like that, the common things of life, like what someone is wearing, and we had a disagreement with them about it, and we said, I'm going to sue you over that. How childish does that sound? It would be like if someone came to me and said, Joe, I don't like the socks that you chose today. And we're going to court over it. And you know what? Guess what? We will go to court, but not over my socks because I'm going to fight you because my sock game is pretty strong. (laughs) Thank you. Okay? It's your good socks. It would be like if someone came to me and said that. Like, I'm going to sue you because I don't like the socks that you're wearing. How silly would that be? And the Apostle Paul says, that is what is happening here when you weigh what you concern yourselves about on the earth against what we know about heaven and eternity and the truth of who Jesus is. So verse 4, he says this, so if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers. This is pretty funny because if you remember a few chapters before, he was talking to them about how much they loved wisdom and prided themselves on wisdom and prided themselves on being wise and able to make good decisions. And here they are, unable to do that in a trivial manner. He says, is no one able to stand up between the people who are fighting and say, you go to your room, you go to your room, and when you come back, you're going to hug each other. And if you can't hug each other, we're not going to be talking like a good mom would do. Is there no adult in the room, the Apostle Paul says? Verse 6, he says, Brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. The, The biggest issue here is not just that they would have people who aren't followers of Jesus settle their disputes, and we don't really necessarily worry about that so much in our society because in the in the court system there are people who are followers of Jesus who are judges there are people who are followers of Jesus who are attorneys who are are handling things like that who we would trust who who we would believe would look at the situation through the lens of what the Bible would say and we thank God for those people but that's not even the issue for the Corinthians the real issue here is this it's the reputation of the people that's at stake It's what are they going to think about you, the person who says you're a follower of Jesus, if if you can't even get over this tiny issue you have between each other. He says, what what will people outside, what are you doing to the reputation of 
Jesus and the church. A few weeks ago, I, well, I want to preface it with this, okay? God's changing me in many ways, and uh, he's working on my heart in some of these things, and I'm realizing that I have to pick my battles. Recently, someone said to me, Joe, which hill's worth dying on? And I said, all of them. They're all worth dying on, and sometimes it still comes to the surface, and I, I, I'm seeing over and over again that that there's always something in our lives that God wants to work on. And it, it's a lot like this. Like, he'll lay our lives underneath a microscope, and he'll let us look in and see. And we're like, oh, my goodness, there's something terrible in there. Jesus, help me overcome this. Help, help me to, to win over this challenge in my life. And, and he'll help us do that. He'll help us win in that area, and we'll feel great about it, and we'll rejoice for a little bit that God has helped us to win in this area, and then all of a sudden, he moves the slide just a tiny bit, and we realize there's something else terrible inside. Is it just me? That's happening to me, and God is showing me many different ways that he's changing me. One specifically is in the area of what hills am I really going to die on, and one hill that is hard for me to die on is when I see an injustice take place, especially when there's a, a, a larger, stronger entity who takes advantage of a smaller, weaker entity, like the city of Decatur and Joe when he gets a parking ticket. And <laughs> Some of you know how I feel about that, and I came out of the office recently, and I saw on the windshield of my car a parking ticket, and I went from happy-go-lucky to want to burn down the Civic Center in th three seconds. And I grab the parking ticket and I'm walking through the offices and I'm going to the city of Decatur's offices to talk to them about this parking ticket. And I pass my friend, Jim, who says to me, Joe, what are you doing? And he's a fellow, you know, stick it to the man guy. And so I said, you know, Jim, how, how are they gonna let this happen to me? How, how are they gonna do this injustice to me? And he says, Joe, if you go over there, you remember, you're a pastor. <laughs> You're right, Jim. I'm a pastor. He goes, just call them and say, I believe there's been a misunderstanding. I believe that uh, there's an error that's taken place, and I'd love to talk to you about that. So I called them, and I said, I believe an error has taken place. In fact, I know an error has taken place, and I escalated it really quickly, and the person's like, well, I'm sorry, we can't address that right now because it takes some time to process these tickets, all things that make perfect sense except to me in that moment. And I said, well, how about this? How about you just give me the number of the person who left the ticket on my car? She says, no, we can't do that, sir, and I, I hang up the phone before I called her a liar, and I'm getting in my car, and... I want to say God spoke to me in that moment, and he spoke two words to me that I don't like to hear, and most of the time I don't even believe when I do hear them. And they were this, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. You're wrong. What, what, what would you do to your reputation, one, and the reputation of the church and Jesus had you bulldozed your way into this situation? You see, it's not just those of us who are pastors who have to protect our reputation. It's all of us who follow Jesus because we no longer only represent ourselves. We no longer only represent ourselves. And I don't just represent Renaissance professionally. We all represent the church as a whole. How many people do we know who, who are not followers of Jesus who would say 
something like this about Christians. Christians are hypocrites. They're judgmental. They're mean. They're rude. They're terrible people. How many people do we know who would say that? And I'll tell you, I spend a lot of my time with Christians, and most of us are wonderful. It's the few who give the rest of us a bad name when we act out according to what's really going on inside. When, when we act out of those passions that God hasn't changed. When we haven't let him say to us, you're wrong. Why, not, why don't you put the brakes on here? So we, we must care about the reputation of the church. And, and not only that, but the reputation of Jesus himself. If you think about every interaction we have with other people and, and consider that, when people interact with us, if they know we're a follower of Christ, they're going to place the things that we do onto Jesus. What if we looked at that in the opposite and not just the negative? What if we considered that because we do represent Jesus, because we, we want to protect his rep, reputation, what if we concerned ourselves with making sure that people felt loved like Jesus loved us? What if we concerned ourselves with laying down our rights the way that Jesus laid his down for us by coming to this earth and giving his life for us? What if we thought about our reputation in that way? How am I going to be like Jesus and preserve the love, the, the image of the love that he has for people by the way that I treat them? Paul says in verse 7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. You've already lost. He says the reputation of the church and of Jesus is already damaged. So at this point, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves, you wrong and defraud even your own brothers. It's like, why not rather give up what you were gonna gain in that moment for the sake of letting the truth of who Jesus is show through? For the, for the sake of remembering what Christ has done for me, why not, why not give up what I'm really going to gain in this moment, which is probably something that's going to fade away like everything else that's of the earth. I heard a story recently of uh, a man who was with his family at a restaurant, and while they were sitting there, it took a really long time for anyone to come over and take their order, which is a hill I'll usually die on. And after that, they came and took the order, and it took a really long time for the food to get there, which is another hill I'll usually die on. And, and after that, it, when the food came out, so much of it was wrong, which is a hill I'll usually die on. And when the bill came, they expected that some of the price would be taken off because of all that had happened, the food taking so long and some of it being wrong. And it was the full price of the meal. And someone at the table said, well, you can't stand for that. And the man said, no, 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 it's okay. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. And someone else said, well, you shouldn't leave a tip then because of all of this that happened. And the man said, no, 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 I'm going to leave a tip and I'm going to leave more than 20%. And somebody said, why would you do that? And the man said, I've I've been shown a lot of grace in my life. I've been shown a lot of grace, and, and here's an opportunity for me to show a lot of grace. And you know what I bet he didn't do? I bet he didn't write on the back of the receipt, I'm showing you a lot of grace for all the wrongs that you've done. I bet he just left a really good tip. Great. Do you know, 
Do you know what another word for tip is? Gratuity. You know where we get that word from? The same word we get the word grace from. That's what God has shown to us is a gratuitous kind of love. It's, it's a love that, that laid down his right to rule the universe and came to this earth and put on human flesh who suffered for our sake. It, the Bible says that, that when people railed accusations against him, he just turned the other cheek, that like a little lamb is led away to be slaughtered who doesn't know what's happening to him, and so he can't even raise his voice to say, please don't take me to slaughter me. Jesus was led away to be crucified, and he knew what was happening to him. Yet like that silent little lamb, he chose not to say a word because he knew this is what would be required to rescue us. He laid down his life for us for the sake of showing us what God's true love is like. And Paul says this, why not rather do what Jesus has done if we've been shown that kind of grace? When we consider what God has done for us through his son, Jesus, how can we not, how can we not look to others around us and extend that same kind of love and care to them. Well, how can we not let go of some of the things we don't want to let go on? We've got to learn to pick our battles, Paul says. We've got to learn to be willing to, to let those things go to the wayside, those things that truly don't matter. We've got to be willing to suffer and be slighted. And guess what? That's the last thing I want to do. It's the last thing most of us want to do. We don't want to give it up. But guess what? Jesus has given us this example. And not only has he given us this example, he's given us the power to do it through his Holy Spirit. And I believe that maybe that's what God would want to do for us today, is that, is that he would want to show us the ways in which he can help us to change. Many times what will happen at church is you'll hear a message and we always leave some time at the end of the service for the band to come back up and we sing a few more songs of worship. And many times what will happen is during that time, something that you heard during the message, you'll have grabbed onto it and it'll stick in the back of your head. And then while we're singing and worshiping, you'll begin to think about that thing over and over and over again. It'll just kind of roll through your mind. And, and the easy thing to do would be to just let it go and try to focus on the words and forget about it. But then it'll keep rolling through your mind. You'll be thinking about it. Does this make sense? Has this happened to you before? You know what I'm talking about? And I suspect that that will happen for some of us today. And, and what's happening in that moment is the Holy Spirit's trying to speak to us. The Holy Spirit's trying to say, hey, I, I, I want you to see this thing in you that I see that I want to change, that that I want to repair, that, that I want to make better, that I want to make new. I want to help you in this area. You're really struggling right here. Guess what? Jesus, Jesus overcame all temptation. Jesus overcame everything that came his way. And guess what? He can give us that power to do the same thing. It will all come through him. And the Holy Spirit wants to say to us, hey, I can give you the strength that Jesus had to get over yourself. I can give you, Joe, the strength that Jesus had to get over himself the next time you feel as though an injustice has been perpetrated against you. And when he does that today, what, what we should do is yield ourselves to him. We should say something to him like, God, whatever you want to do in me, 
do it. And be careful when we pray that because he will and he'll give us then opportunities to test whether or not we will be willing to suffer. He'll give us opportunities with other people to test whether or not we're willing to let them wrong us. We'll get a chance, maybe before we even get home today, to test whether or not we're serious about what we said. Jesus, help me to change. Oh, he'll give us an opportunity to see whether or not we're going to change. But know this, the Bible tells us that every temptation comes with a back door. There's a way of escape. Every temptation that comes with us, God gives us an opportunity to choose him over it. He gives us an opportunity to choose him over sin. And we can say yes to Jesus, and sometimes it's the hardest thing in the world. But when we do it, we know we couldn't have done it without his help. We can't do it without his help. And he truly wants to help us. And I believe in the next few moments after the band returns that that that's what he'll do. He'll begin to speak to some of us and point some of these things out. And then we'll be able to go on with his help and say yes to him and no to these other things. We'll be able to lay down our rights like Jesus did. I was praying this morning about this and I, I, I was thinking about, you know, what, maybe what kind of people might be in the room who, who the Holy Spirit would want to speak to and I'll just talk about myself, who the Holy Spirit might want to speak to. He, he might want to say, Joe, you need to not be so quick to anger. I think I read that in the Bible once or 50 times. Maybe some of us have someone that we need to, to go have a conversation with and we've been talking to other people about this issue and and we have been spreading rumors or gossip, which is essentially what it is. And now we've sown seeds of discord with others. Maybe what we need to do is, is find the courage from the Holy Spirit and go to that person and say, look, you hurt me, you offended me, let's make it right. And then maybe he wants to give us the courage to go back to all of those people that we talked to and say, hey, guess what? I was wrong here and I shouldn't have talked to you. I actually disobeyed what Jesus said by talking to you first then before talking to the person who offended me. There are many different issues and challenges that we're all experiencing, and here's what I know, what God wants to do. He wants to help every one of us overcome them because we can't do it on our own. So that's what we'll expect today, that, that God will be part of the change that takes place in our hearts. Would you pray with me as the band returns? Lord, we, we are so, so thankful that uh, the thing you care about the most is what's going on in our heart. And so I ask that as we, as we begin to spend time worshiping you today, as we begin to look to you for strength and, and wisdom, that you'd give us hope. Sometimes when we see the challenges that we face and the difficulties uh, that we have, it feels hopeless because we have a string, a long list behind us of failure. But we know this, that... that because of what you've done for us, Jesus, you make everything new. And so it's as though our slate is completely clean. And we come to you and we say, I need help. Can't do it without you. We know, Lord, that you can help us. If there's, if there's any issue that we have with another person, you can help us. If, there, if there's any issue that we have with ourselves that causes us to act out, Lord, you can help us. And you're the only one. And so we look to you today for help. I pray that you'd speak to us, encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together, we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, 
please go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.